if you ache for truth, goodness, and beauty, if you're hungry for a Christianity with substance and strength, if you long for a faith that's big and bold and biblical and all about Jesus Christ, if you're inspired by the idea of one church that has spanned 20 centuries, 24 time zones, and two hemispheres, enfolding every race, nation, and language, then you're considering Catholicism. I've known my friend Ed for, wow, 20 years or so. We first met back in my Protestant days when I was a part-time teaching pastor at this little urban coffeehouse-style mission church. It was kind of hipster and non-denominational, and we focused on doing evangelization to this eclectic mix of college students and homeless people and downtown business folks. It was kind of cool. Anyway, Ed and his wife started attending, and because he was a professional church musician with a lifetime of experience, he ended up joining our church band, and we became buddies. And Ed and I ended up spending a lot of time over the years just hanging out and talking about movies and music and books, and, you know, we'd get out from time to time to ride bikes or play a little golf or whatever. Actually, I think that he secretly envied me. Because one thing that you need to know about Ed is that he always desperately wanted to be from Huntington Beach, California, Surf City, USA. And since I actually was and went to high school there, I always had one up on him. Well, anyway, I was on this crazy 20-year road to Rome. And when my wife and I entered the Catholic Church, it threw a lot of my Protestant evangelical friends and colleagues for a major loop. They didn't understand Catholicism, and truthfully, most still don't, and they couldn't fathom how a good Christian with a solid biblical education could ever fall for all that Catholic mumbo-jumbo. Well, anyway, Ed and I stayed friends, and about six months ago or so, he began asking me some questions about Catholicism. And they were good questions, too, and so I'd answer them, and then after a while, he'd ask me another one, and it became clear that he was curious about Catholicism. So we began getting together for breakfast or lunch, and something you need to know about Ed and I is that we're both passionate about Mexican food, especially little mom-and-pop Mexican diners. In fact, we're on a lifelong quest to find the perfect breakfast burrito. So if you have any leads about where we might find it, go ahead and send me a message. Anyway, we'd get together at a diner or something and talk about faith and church and the Bible and doctrine. I recommended some books and he read them. He even waded through a couple of G.K. Chesterton books. And then he'd ask more questions. And eventually it became clear that Ed was actually considering Catholicism. And since I was thinking about launching this podcast, I thought, why don't we start recording our little chats about the church for the podcast? To be honest, I don't know whether after considering Catholicism, Ed will decide to enter the church or not, but I thought that it might be helpful for our audience to be able to listen in and follow along on a real-life evangelization journey. So I asked Ed if we could record our talks for the podcast, and he was cool enough to agree. Now, Ed's never even been to a Catholic Mass yet, but I eventually hope to take him and record his reactions for the podcast. We'll see where all of this goes. 
So this is going to be a regular periodic feature of the podcast called Church Chats with Greg and Ed. I hope that you'll find it helpful to be a fly on the wall during these evangelization conversations. And if you're on Ed's side of the table, maybe this will answer some of your questions. If you're on my side of the table, maybe this will help you to learn how to share your Catholic faith with a friend. In this first church chat, I asked Ed what kind or flavor of Christian he considers himself to be. Now, that's not a simple question today, because so much of Protestantism has become denominationally fluid. People drift from one congregation to the next, not based on doctrine necessarily, but just on the personality of the pastor or the style of the music. Today, most local Protestant churches downplay or even disguise their denominational affiliation if they have one anyway. As you listen, you'll hear just how much Ed is searching, but he he just can't find what he's looking for. In fact, he can't even really articulate what it is that he's looking for. He just knows that he hasn't found it yet. Now, I've been having conversations like this with people for, wow, almost 40 years. And I guarantee you that there are vast numbers of people out there, some of them that you know, who are just as restless and discontent and hungry for something that they just can't define. And if we could get better at sharing our faith and story with them, they just might consider Catholicism. Welcome to Church Chats with Greg and Ed, where Greg and his Protestant friend Ed chat about the church. So, Ed, you're a Christian. I know that. We've worked together at a non-denominational church, and I, and I know how seriously you take your faith, but... Uh, but you're not a, a Catholic Christian, not a member of the Catholic Church. So my question to you is, what kind of Christian are you? I mean, what flavor of Christian are you? How would you, how would you describe yourself or your Christian faith? What, what's your Christian identity? You know, what, what church or traditions or denomination do you belong to? Uh, good question. I think <clears throat> currently... I would say I don't I don't know, but you know maybe a, a better way to you know get a feel for this is I'll just share uh, uh, real quick here um, my background uh, history with the the church if you will the faith denominations um, evangelical Protestant basically um, I don't know I, well I started at the Baptist Church okay was a kid raised in the Baptist Church. Um, theology there was uh, straight from the Word of God, at least as determined by our pastor and our elders and our congregation. <clears throat> I'm sitting there one day, I ask my mom, why do we have to open our, I'm le- leaning over to her at the pew, why do we have to open our Bibles and read along when the pastor reads scripture? And she says, you follow along in your Bible whenever the pastor reads and make sure he's reading it right. <laughs> D- don't let anyone trick you. Um, there might have been a little of my mom in there as well as Baptist, but but Baptist, at least in our particular association, um, are extremely independent. There's no governing body, at least there wasn't with us, telling us how to do things. No, you know, so there's no pastors appointed to us. Um, pastors had to come and candidate for the position, and we voted on them. Uh, the the so the guardians of the truth for us were really us. Right. ourselves you know we, we took the truths of the Bible to be self-evident okay and we decided 
uh, of what that meant and what was right. Right, right. You know, and, and right, that's, that's sort of the problem with the nothing but the Bible, sola scripture approach, right? I mean, what happens when you have differences of opinion about how you interpret this passage or apply that passage? Um, who, who decides, who adjudicates that? You know, you can take a vote, um, you can uh, take a vote among the elders, a vote among the people, you, but it wouldn't end up happening is your, in, your churches end up sort of endlessly splitting up, sort of endlessly subdividing over and over and over again. And because at the end of the day, there's no legitimate biblical or spiritual authority. Uh, there's no one to decide. There's nothing bigger than ourselves. I mean, it, it ends up devolving to individual opinions and arguments and power grabs and, you know. Right, I was thinking when you said that, that the, uh, the answer is what happens if we disagree? Somebody starts a new church. Exactly, right? And I mean- <clears throat> That's what that, happens. Yeah, yeah. And, that, and that, that's what I saw. And that's, that's certainly what history shows is that you have this endless subdivision of new, new denominations splitting off from old denominations, new congregations splitting off from old congregations. The church splits, the church splits, the church splits until you get these ever smaller, you know, uh, groups of people who, right. you know, and it's usually driven often by the personality of a particular pastor who, right. you know, he himself has got this angle or approach and he's got his followers and he, you know, splits off with the other guy and... Um, Right. There's, and I, there's not much comfort in that. It's like, well, I'm, I'm really on my own, aren't I? You know, ultimately. Um, so, I, you know, I, when I was 19, I left the Baptist church because I just wanted there to be something more, something bigger, you right. know. And I wound, I wound up in the charismatic church. Right. And this... Uh, so, so what now, just for people who are listening, maybe that aren't familiar, that would be like a Pentecostal church, Assemblies yes. of God, that sort yeah, of thing. Yeah, that, that's a loose term. Uh, Assemblies of God, Pentecostal churches, those are all, you know... Uh, the vineyards, yeah, churches, um, these kinds of... Yeah. I, I felt like, uh, you know, full-on gifts of the Holy Spirit, speaking in tongues, faith healing, all of that. Uh, and I, I just felt at the time, like, man, this is where the real power is. This is real, and we'll probably end up talking about this at, later at some point, but I felt like this is real early church biblical Christianity. This uh, is what they were doing back, you know, 50 years after Jesus died. Um, and that we were just, that we were heirs of that early church, right? Right. I mean, that's sort of the selling point for that. I mean, I, I've spent time in and around that movement, um, maybe not... Yeah, long story about myself and working with churches like that uh, in various capacities. But right, that's the whole big selling point for it is that you know we're going back to the Church of Pentecost, right? And the right. first the first right. couple of like the first two weeks of the church, you know, right after Pentecost, where everybody was sort of you know or the first two months, and everybody was just being led by the Spirit before there was any organization to it. Right, uh, and and ultimately it was who could make the the most the best sounding claim that mm. they had, that they had the truth, you know, and I've heard all, I would hear all kinds of arguments for and against lots of things. So there was, you know, there was a, there was a power grab eventually from this place in this place. They, um, lots of people claiming they'd heard directly from God, but there wasn't, I, I felt there was no objectivity. There was no way to test this. How do we, you know, I would say, well, I would, if I said, well, where do you find this in the Bible? Well, it's right here. And then somebody else will say, well, no, it's not, you know, and that I, I was just so unsettling to me. I thought, well, then I, I, here I am again, just deciding for myself, you know? Well, then someone says, um, I have it from the Lord or the Lord told me, or, or I was talking to the Lord this morning, um, or I have a word of power or word of right. knowledge about right. this. And you go, how do you argue? How do you argue with that? Yeah. Yeah. You can't. 
uh, the, yeah, well, ultimately there's no argument back against it. And then here we go with another church, right? Right. So, uh, so that, that, that ended up for me, it ended after 16 or 17 years. Um, and I'd seen a lot of stuff and there was a big power grab by some out of town guy claiming to be an apostle. I don't know how he described that or I, I, you know, I don't know. He said he was, uh, and, and so he ended up being in charge and I got really disillusioned and I left. And I was offered a job doing music for a Willow Creek Church clone, a church growth movement church. Okay, so for those who are listening that might not know, because this was, you know, 25 years ago, a thing, uh, this was an evangelical movement back in the oh, 80s and 90s. It was, it was the seeker church concept. It was pioneered by a guy named Bill Hybels at this mega church outside Chicago called Willow Creek Community Church. And the basic idea of it was, uh, you know, if we packaged the gospel in this high quality secular media style presentation, made it really slick, then secular people would, would buy it, right? So there were hundreds of these wannabe Willow Creek churches that popped up all around the country. And you and I both worked in that world for a while. And I worked in it for, for what, 10 years or more pastoring in those, those kinds of churches. So, yeah, I, it should be said here that, you know, this is, you know, it, I don't want it to sound like I've been bopping around. I mean, I was 19 when I left the Baptist church and I, and I was in my late thirties when I left the charismatic church. You know what I mean? Uh, so it's not, you know, I, I spent many years in all of these things I'm talking about. Anyway, it was the, the world of doing whatever it took to bring people in. Right. 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 Um, I worked for 12 years as the director of instrumental music and I had a blast and made a lot of really good friends and a lot of really good music and people that I still keep in contact with. Right. Uh, but I eventually burned out on it. We were just, we were just reinventing it over and over and over. And it was just this mm -hmm. sort of frantic scramble to find the magic formula that would trip the switch and people would really, you know, come in. Right. Uh, and I just couldn't keep up the pace anymore. Mm -hmm. uh, it's tired of working weekends, you know, kind of bopped around a little bit, ended up at this tiny little church. A, sort of a coffee house style storefront church. Uh, it was intimate. It was laid back. It was slow paced. And I could just bring my acoustic guitar on Sunday and sit in. And it just, at first, it just felt like heaven. Yeah, it was the hipster groovy church because that's where we met. And that's what I was on the, uh, one of the part-time teaching, rotating teaching pastors. And that's what we were trying to do was we were in a downtown urban space and we had college students and homeless people and downtown, you know, business people and all this sort of thing. And we were trying to do this, you know, be really relevant in the, you know, early 2000s in this right. downtown kind of environment and uh, do this coffee house thing and, you know, do mission. And uh, it was, it was, it was kind of cool. It was, but it was self-consciously we were trying to be cool. I mean, as I look back on it now, that was, you know, part of its fatal flaw was it was self-consciously attempting to be super cool. Yeah. Like, like Charlie Brown said, I never look quite as dumb as when I'm trying to look smart. Right. <laughs> right. right. So I, you know, I stayed there for several years and I, I loved it. I, a, a lot of it. And I still have you, for instance, I still have friends, right? Yeah. Uh, but, but it just seemed to be b blown around by the winds of dissent, right? How do we run this church? What do we do? It, it all seemed to be going to the highest emotional bidder. Whoever mm. could make the best emotional plea, we have to do it this way. God right. woke me up and told me, you know. Right. Uh, so I, 
I, I left. I was just, I was just done, you know. And I started thinking, you know, I, I only see two possibilities here. Um, you know, the modern church was hopelessly messed up, and by modern church, I was very pointedly excluding the Catholic Church, right? Or I was just unfit for it. And, right. and, I, and I thought, well, I don't know. I kind of didn't care which at that point. I just, you know. So we, uh, my wife and I, oh, my blessed wife, who's hopped around with me. Your long-suffering she wife. She is. She's a saint. Uh, church hopped for several years. I eventually took a job as an interim worship, direct, worship director at a local church, and I, and I, I started thinking— Maybe what's missing here is that I'm not using my gifts. Maybe that's what God's called me to do. That's maybe that's what I should do. So I ended up candidating for the job that I was just filling in for while they looked for somebody else. And I met with their search people, search team of of, uh, and there were twelve people on this search team. And when I asked what they wanted from from the music director, I was like, well, "What do you guys want from me? You know, what are you guys looking for?" They, I got literally. 12 wildly varying answers. And I, if I took the time to tell you, you, you know, it's unbelievable. And, and so here's the thing that floored me. They didn't see any problem with this approach. They right. were just, they were just right. going to sort of meld it all together, you know? Right. And I, I walked out of the meeting. I was out in the parking lot walking to my car with the pastor. He's a young guy, and I really liked him. I still do. He's, you know, I said, um, I'm pull my hat out of the ring. That's a, that's, a, that's a moving target. I'll never hit it, you know? So we ended up back at the tiny coffee house church. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I remember I, you came I, back. I needed work. I needed right. to do something, you know. And uh, so, uh, and I'm, I'm edging toward retirement here, you know. So I worked for almost two years back at that church as the worship director. And I just couldn't let go of the idea that I was called to do this, you know. But nothing had changed at all. And eventually retirement sort of snuck up on me. And I thought, well, this is a good excuse. And I left, you know. I stopped doing it and I left. And then I started thinking, well, maybe, maybe if my wife and I just met with a couple of people in a, in a house church, um, and even that didn't really light me up. It was, just, you know, I, and I thought, this just, this is all so wrong. This right. is so wrong. What's, right. what's the right thing, you know? So I've, I'm now, I'm currently at, uh, attending a large local church. I play on stage every six weeks or so. I have friends there. I know people there. I know all the musicians and I get along with them, and we make good music, and that's the part I like is just hanging with those guys, men and women. But, yeah, I hate to say this, but I don't, I don't want to, you know, I don't want to diss anybody, and I, this is part of my, you know, my, uh, my angst here is that I, I, you know, I don't, I don't know what to think about all this, but I find myself sitting in the pew, listening to the preaching, and finding fault with the theology, or at least I have, well, I don't know, you can't say that. I need to talk to you, you know? And the lyrics of the worship songs and the music itself, it's, I don't know, it doesn't do anything for me anymore. And a lot of people seem to love it, so I'm right back to, well, you know, what's wrong with me? Well, I mean, there's a big difference between, say, I think having a critical spirit, and we can all get into that place, right? right? Where we become unnecessarily critical or overly critical of wherever we are, you know, and mm-hmm. you can be critical in a Protestant church, you can be critical in a family, you can be critical of your sports team, you can be critical in a Catholic church, you can be an overly critical spirit. Or you can sort of have this kind of, you know, rest, this discontent growing in you because you're starting to, to sort of feel things and maybe God's prompting you 
were sort of opening your eyes up to things. I mean, that's that was my experience over many years of gradually, you know, kind of the layers of the onion peeling back, or at least right. in some sense of starting to realize, well, this doesn't make sense to me, or this doesn't, you know, I'm not content with this, and I'm not content with that. And, you know, that's sort of the path that, you know, God led me down. But, but let me, okay, so so I, I started by asking you, say, what what flavor of Christian are you, Ed? And I, and I know, I know you, I know that you are saved by faith in Jesus Christ. I know that you believe all the basic doctrines of Christianity. I know that you try to, I know for a fact that you try to live faithfully as a follower. But at this point, you're a, you're a, you're a what? I mean, you're wandering around looking for some home in the Christian world, wondering where you belong, where you could or should belong. Well, see, that's, that, that's the thing. And I'm, I'm really, I don't know, right? I'm, I'm really gun shy about saying that I'm any particular flavor. I've, I said when I left the uh, the big Willow Creek clone church that I'm never drinking the Kool-Aid again. I'm never going along with this. I'm never going to swallow the hook. I'm never going to just give myself to any of this. But, of course, I was doing that all the time, all along, because right. that's that was sort of, I don't know, I feel like that's how God made me and right. made us want to belong to something bigger, right? Yeah. So uh, when, if people ask me now, I would just say, well, I'm a Christian. But what I belong to? Yeah. Uh, it's discouraging. It's a it's a mess in my mind, and I lay awake at night just wondering, you know, am I just you know defective or? Well, I mean, again, uh, I think things can arise out of a, a critical spirit, or we can have a I think a sometimes a holy discontent, where the the spirit is you know prompting us and 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 making us sort of discontent with where we are, and that can be a good thing if it if it drives us to to sort of you know seek truth. So. So after I left that world and I entered the Catholic Church, um, and we, we were still, of course, good friends, but but recently, you know, within the last six months or so, then we started having these conversations um, about why I became Catholic and how you're feeling, and and then we thought I, I, I came to you and I said, you know, this is these conversations we're having sitting in coffee houses or whatever, we could have these for the podcast. We should be recording them. So, so this isn't staged or a setup. You're really, you really are searching. You really are yep. asking questions and investigating you. And, and so I guess my question is, what is it that's making you curious about Catholicism? You know, along the way, I, I had interactions with Catholic churches. I went Catholic weddings, went to a couple of Catholic weddings, and uh, I really liked the high church aspect of it. That's what I would call it anyway. It appealed to me enormously that um, the music was gorgeous and it felt very directed toward God rather than directed toward me. Um, you know, you and then you left the Protestant church and there was no way I could just pass it off and say, well, that's just Greg, he's, you know... He's doing that for cultural reasons, or he's a big history buff, and there's a lot of history there and whatever. Because I, you know, that was me stiff arming the thought that maybe Greg was right, you know. <laughs> um, but because I knew you, I just, I just knew that wasn't that this would, would it was a big deal to you, and you wouldn't have done it for those reasons. Mm -hmm. I listened to a a long lecture series about the history of Christian theology, and I had no idea that the church was early on was that organized and that big and that well formed and mm -hmm. and. I mean, we're talking about by the third or fourth centuries, it was huge and there were schools and I didn't realize how far it had reached out, you know. Uh, and I thought, man, 1,500 years of, of church history, I can't say those people right. weren't Christians and there was nothing to it. And I'm tossing out thinkers like Aquinas and Augustine who were straight up Catholics and who uh, my Protestant 
pastor friends would quote. Right. You know, you said a couple things to me uh, that stuck with me in the in the Catholic Church. God is big and I am little. In the Protestant Church, it's kind of the other way around. Um, and this was a Facebook thing, I think. One, one day, I said something about the Catholic Church, and you said, "Are you sure you want to go down this road, Ed? You'd be in alignment with the Church Fathers." And that one really had teeth. Right. Uh, I started. I thought, well, yeah, I guess I, I guess I have to say that those were church fathers, mm-hmm. but they can't all have been just been wrong, right? You know, right? I mean, because once we start asking questions like, uh, you know, did Christ intend his followers to be the church? Um, did uh, did the Holy Spirit at Pentecost uh, empower them to be the church? Did his uh, apostles write the New Testament and found the church on the authority he gave them? Once you start asking those kinds of questions, well, you know, then we're led to ask, well, well, what did the church that the apostles founded uh, in, you know, the, the 30, 40, 50 years after, you know, Jesus' resurrection, what did that church look like? And that drives us back to the writers and leaders that are called the church fathers, you know, the pastors and bishops and theologians, the first three or four generations or so after the apostles. And, and the crazy thing for Protestants like you are, or I was, that's, that's kind of dangerous because what we find is that the church of the first few generations, well, the, the, the church fathers weren't evangelical contemporary Protestants. They just weren't. You know, the, the possibility of belonging to the historic church, the, the idea that Catholicism of, of Catholicism actually being church history, that, that was a thought I had never allowed into my head. And when I talk to some of my Protestant friends, I've sort of snuck this into conversations with them. And man, they're, they're, you know, they're up on their hind legs immediately over oh, this. You yeah. know? I loved the idea of belonging to the universal church, which I, I guess I just assumed I was, but you know, uh, I, it's hard to say what church I belong to when everybody believes something different, right? Right. Uh, so the idea of something bigger than me, uh, bigger than just the church down the street or what my pastor thinks, you know, uh, mm. I'm, I'm tired of having to come up with this on my own. You know what I mean? I just feel like that's where it's ended up. Now I'm deciding who's, which pastor is right or which denomination is right. And no matter where I end up, I think, yeah, but I don't know about this. And what about that? And, and, you know, all my life as a Protestant, I've heard this over and over. Well, what I think the Bible means or what my church says it means. And I just, that's just frustrating. I used to get so frustrated back in the day with the type of small group Bible study where the leader of the Bible study reads a passage and then asks everyone in the group, what does this passage mean to you? And I I don't really care what it means to you. And you shouldn't really care what it means to me. I thought what we should both care about is what is it you know, actually mean, right? Right. But who do we appeal to to decide what it means? Who, who has the authority to tell us what it means or resolve those differences or whatever? So now what, Ed? I mean, where do you go now from here? This was a conversation I was having with my wife. She said, well, what do you think about all this? And I said, I want to know the truth. I've always wanted to know what the truth was. That's why I left the Baptist church and went to the charismatic church. And from there, you know, I want to know what the truth is. Gee, I'm so frustrated with where I'm at personally and, and the state of the church. And I don't want to throw stones, but neither do I want to just go along with it. And I just don't know yet for sure where this is all going. But I'm, I haven't found the answers and yet, or um, I like what I'm seeing. I'm, I'm fascinated. I'm interested. And I'm going to keep following the, uh, following the lead and see where it goes. 
Right. And, and so that's what we're going to do. Um, we're going to keep getting together like this uh, on a regular basis and to try to help you get your questions answered. And uh, I'm, gonna, I'm here to kind of help you investigate Catholicism. And this is a real thing. Like this is not a stage play. We're really in real time, you know, going to do this. You, you've never actually been to a, a, a mass. And so I'm going to take you to one and we're going to talk about it on the podcast after you right. see your first mass. And we're going to visit some other places and meet some other people. And um, hopefully our listeners over the next year are going to get to, or however long this last are going to get to sort of walk along with you to see where your consideration of Catholicism takes you. And um, so that's all the time we have today. We're going to keep this going and it's going to be a regular feature on the podcast and we'll see where it goes. So let's get together again soon. Love to. We'll get back to the episode in a few moments, but first I want to share with you an ancient principle of Catholicism. While we are saved by faith, true faith seeks understanding. Christ imparts to us a holy curiosity. We want to learn and grow and come to know more and more of God's word, his will, and his works. The Catholic life should be an ongoing journey of discovery. So, if you're enjoying the Considering Catholicism podcast, then join me and other instructors for the next step in this journey by joining the Lakeshore Academy for the New Evangelization. Five years ago, we launched the Lakeshore Academy for the New Evangelization, or LANE as we call it, to foster a culture of faith-filled, lifelong Catholic learning in hearts, homes, and parishes. As the Dean of Lane, I invite you to join me and its other teachers for a wide range of learning experiences for adults, as well as for children and families. Lane offers structured courses in Catholic topics, both online and in person, as well as seminars, audio and video documentaries, and field trips, both real and virtual. There are already dozens of courses in our library, with new programs being offered all the time. To check out the catalog and schedule, and to learn more about how it works, visit lanecatholic.org. That's L-A-N-E catholic.org, where faith seeks understanding. Our time is winding down, but we end every episode by learning and leaning into one of the classic Catholic prayers. For those of you who are considering Catholicism, Consider making this prayer a regular part of your relationship with God. Lord, teach us to pray the prayers of the church with all the saints. Today's prayer is known as the Divine Praises. This one has an interesting history, which isn't completely clear, It may have had some earlier influences, but the original form of the prayer was officially composed in Italy in 1797 by a Jesuit priest named Father Luigi Felici. Father Felici was deeply concerned about blasphemy, which was becoming common in his day. People were using their tongues not to praise God, but to disrespect him and matters of faith. 
And so Father Felici wrote this prayer to give us an act of reparation. If we have used our voice to blaspheme our Lord, in this prayer we allow our voice to be raised in praise of Christ, his kingdom, and the Christian faith. Now, over the last 200 years, the popes have added a few lines to the prayer, filling it out, making it more complete. But if blasphemy was becoming common at the end of the 18th century, it's in the very air we breathe at the beginning of the 21st. Today, if we aren't actively disrespecting the Lord, it seems we're passively accepting it. And so, we might consider praying this prayer from time to time to reorient our hearts and our minds and our tongues to praise what is ultimately true, good, and beautiful. The Divine Praises Blessed be God. Blessed be His holy name. Blessed be Jesus Christ, true God and true man. Blessed be the name of Jesus. Blessed be His most sacred heart. Blessed be his most precious blood. Blessed be Jesus in the most holy sacrament of the altar. Blessed be the Holy Spirit, the paraclete. Blessed be the great mother of God, Mary most holy. Blessed be her holy and immaculate conception. Blessed be her glorious assumption. Blessed be the name of Mary, virgin and mother. Blessed be Saint Joseph, her most chaste spouse. Blessed be God in his angels and in his saints. Amen. Thank you for listening. Considering Catholicism is produced by One Whirling Adventure, a 501c3 nonprofit organization with a simple mission to excite and educate people about historic Catholic Christianity and to equip them to live, share, and defend it in the 21st century. We depend completely on your generous donations. Learn more and consider supporting our ministry by visiting oneworlingadventure.org.